Bibles. We'll be in John chapter 16. I love it. People walk in the sanctuary there this morning and they're like, something's changed. Something's different. Some of you are looking at this and you're going, how thirsty can one guy get? I understand that. Phil says, well, what's going on? It's all good. It's all good. Be comforted. Change is a part of life. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 12, Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose to you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose to you. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for the promise of the Holy Spirit that you spoke even before your crucifixion, before you resurrected and before you ascended. This was not an afterthought. I thank you that this was part of the plan all along. And as we look at the dispensation of the ages, Lord, and how you have interacted with humanity at different epochs and different times, and then to, to prepare the next and, and last generation of this age, Lord, for these things, thank you so much. We could not stand in this world if not for your Holy Spirit. And I just pray for more enlightenment this morning for us, more understanding, a, a, a firmer grasp, if you will, Lord, revelation of the truth of what it means to walk by the Spirit, to be Spirit-filled people, to understand your desire for us and, and why you did things the way that you did. And I pray, Father, if, if anyone is running on empty, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. We all are looking for guidance in this life, and it takes various and different forms, guideposts, guidelines, guidance counselors. We all want to have, I mean, wouldn't that be nice if every one of us, when we were born, were assigned a guide to then carry us through life, such that even in the non-believing, non-Christian world, they have spirit guides, You've heard of this. this. I first heard of this back in the 80s. It was a very new age concept, but it's an old deception. The idea that I can find my own personal spirit guide to help me navigate life. And the thing is, if you're looking for a spirit guide outside of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of the living God, you are being deceived. You are being lied to. There's only one spirit of truth. And Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. Remember what he said back in verse 7 of chapter 16. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paracleton, the strengthener, the comforter, the advocate, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, Jesus went. Guess what? He sent the paracleton. He sent the Holy Spirit of the living God for his people, for his church. 
And we've been looking at this over, over the last several weeks. The Holy Spirit is our God's strong helper. Have you been keeping a list? Because we're going to add three more to that list this morning. He is our God's strong helper. He is gifted forever. He is genuine truth. He generates remembrance. He grants peace. He is the gospel witness. He is our great advantage, as we just read in verse 7. He brings grave conviction, as we talked about last week. And I don't care if you write it down exactly as I said it, or even if you get it exactly like that at all. I just get the concepts of why Jesus gave us his spirit. And remember, I'm, I'm limiting myself to a degree to the teaching of Jesus pre-crucifixion about the promise of his spirit. So we can understand what was in, in Jesus' heart for us and what he desired. Now we can quickly add something to the list. If you go back to verse 16 John, uh, of John chapter 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him, see him or know him. You know him because it abides with you and will be in you. I want to go back to that one because we got to add one more to the list. And I probably should have added this early on in the list. So if you want to tweak your list and put this at number four, it would fit really well there. Otherwise, it's number nine. The Holy Spirit is not gotten by unbelievers. The Holy Spirit is not gotten by unbelievers. And I think that's important for us to start with. And to recognize that the gifting of the Holy Spirit is to those who believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So the Holy Spirit is not gotten by unbelievers. Unbelievers cannot receive the Holy Spirit because they won't. Because they won't. You know what you call an unbeliever who receives the Holy Spirit? A believer, right? That's how it works. It is by faith in the living God, trusting in Jesus Christ, that then the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is given. And so the Holy Spirit is not gotten by unbelievers. Why does that matter, Rick? We're all believers here, mostly, aren't we? Why are we concerned with this? Listen, those for whom the church is a club. Those who show up because this is a social gathering or a tradition do not have the spirit. If that's the only reason why you're here. They're not believers in Jesus. They're not Christians. You are not a Christian because you belong to a church denomination. You are not a Christian because you show up. Well, I show up every Sunday with my family. I don't want to, but I'm there for them. Then you're not a Christian. Let's just call it what it is. You are an unbeliever until you put faith in Jesus Christ. And you do not have the Holy Spirit. You do not have access to the Holy Spirit. You don't have access to the promises of God. If, if church for you is a social thing, on top of that, many believers have received the Holy Spirit and yet they're unaware, sometimes by limited teaching, sometimes by old doctrines or or. or denominational teachings that, that, that dismiss the idea. And so they don't avail themselves of what Jesus called our advantage, our greatest advantage as followers of Jesus Christ today is the spirit of truth. So 
before going any further, have you ever made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? If not, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that judgmentally. I'm saying it factually. Because to receive the Holy Spirit, you must receive Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Now, that should change our lives. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes a long time for the change to really begin to happen. And it's not his fault. It's ours. How many of you are, are, are the type of people who, when you drive in your cars, you, you take it right, you take the needle down to the basement? You get it as far down as you can because you're not going to pay $5.25 for gas unless you absolutely have to. You're the one who's pushing your car down 20 because you're not going to pay for it. How many of you, you know, you wait down, and then, and then when you do, see, this was me in high school. I was the kid, Cheryl can tell you this, I ran out of gas more than anybody in the world because I, I didn't have any money. And gas at that time was like, I kid you not, around a dollar a gallon, maybe 98 cents to a dollar. So if I got a dollar, I drove to the gas station and filled up my, you know, I ran on a, a gallon of gas pretty much all the time. I never had a full tank, ever. How many Christians are running on half a tank? Or on a gallon? Or on fumes? And again, it's not the fault of the Holy Spirit. It's the fault of the believer for not receiving all that God has intended for us. Your life can be radically different and can be absolutely led if you will receive the Holy Spirit, if you've received Jesus and you're uncertain about the Holy Spirit, unsure, well, listen again. Listen again. In verses 26 and 27 of chapter 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you, all that Jesus said to you. And then he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And this is the key to the whole idea of not letting your heart be troubled. The Spirit. When Jesus first says this in verse 1, if you stopped it, do not let your heart be troubled. Well, Sean Hannity says that, and it doesn't always work. Especially if you listen to a half hour of his show, your heart is troubled. The phrase doesn't do anything except that Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. That's how you don't let your heart be troubled. And then he goes beyond that and says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. After saying, my peace I give to you. Well, how do I access that peace? The Holy Spirit. He gives you, he gives me the peace that we need to navigate this, this world. Chapter 15, verse 26, and we've been over this. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you've been with me from the beginning. Now he's talking to the apostles. And they've been with him from the beginning of his ministry. But hey, you've been with him from the beginning of your faith. Because you've been with him from the beginning. You can testify about him. And you don't have to have some grand and glorious testimony. You can just say, I love Jesus. And he actually gets me through every day. He gives me hope of what's to come. You can testify because the Spirit testifies. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you will do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Jesus said back in John chapter 3, the wind blows wherever it pleases. So it is with anyone who is born of the Spirit. You go where the Spirit pleases. 
You do what the Holy Spirit desires you to do. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you're out of control. I'll explain that in just a minute. Chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus went on to say, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. By the way, this is the one work of the Spirit outside of believing people. Conviction. He will, from the outside, convict the heart of the unbeliever. He doesn't come in. The unbeliever is, you know, is the Holy Spirit is not gotten by the unbeliever, but, but he is convicted, or she is convicted by the Holy Spirit. And concerning righteousness, verse 10, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And if you don't understand any of that, go back and listen to last week. I don't have time to go over it again. But I did share this last week, and I want to repeat this to you all. I shared last week how, how D.L. Moody stood before his, his congregation at the Illinois Street Church there in Chicago. And he said, how can I get the air out of this glass? Bill, are you excited? I'm now using the props. How do I get the air out of this glass? Do you remember that? I shared last week, and he said, I, I suppose I could get some kind of device to, to pump the air out, but that would create a vacuum, and the glass would shatter. Moody was a sharp guy. <laughs> get it? Sharp? The glass would shatter? So it's, he was a sharp guy. Because shattered glass is sharp? Okay, all right. How can I get the air out without breaking it? And then he did this. Filled it up. Let's get a little fuller. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he goes, look, the air is out. The air is out. That was it. Hope you enjoyed that. He said, that's the Christian life. This is the Christian life right here. Filled up, overflowing. The air is gone. You're no longer, as I said last week, an airhead. Now you're filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. That's the Christian life. But what if it's not? What if that's not exactly how the promise works? At least not entirely. Sometimes our, this, this is the problem with any of our, of our props or our examples is, is they can easily fall short. Like, like the woman who was teaching Sunday school and wanted to talk about the Trinity, and she, so she thought, I'll bring in an egg, shell, white, and yolk. All three, three in one. I can explain the Trinity to the kids. She popped the egg open and out came a double-yoked egg. What do you do? Okay, what if the promise looks more like this? That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus says. He doesn't say that you will just be filled. Oh, he does. And you are, and I am. But in John 14, verse 20, he says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You in me, I in you. Chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, abide in me, and I in you. That's the picture. That's much closer. And by the way, do you notice how the glass just disappears into the picture? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are in him and he is in you, you start to disappear in the whole process. 
Now, don't get me wrong. You are highly valued by God. Sons and daughters, beloved of the Father. But his invitation is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. We start to disappear into who Jesus is. I in him and him in me. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist came out and, and he said radically, I baptize you with water. And we all know about that. The water baptism of John the Baptist going into the Jordan River, dunking people, submerging them, because that's what baptizo means in the Greek. Baptism is a made-up English word. The word should be submerged because that's what the word means. And John was baptizing, completely fully immersing people in the Jordan River. He says, I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that. I didn't come up with that. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which you heard of from me. For John baptized with water. But Jesus now says, Jesus says, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I'll tell you what, I've come to the point in my life, actually many years ago, when I realized if Jesus said it, I want it. If Jesus said it, though I may not understand it, I want in on that. He says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I know this rubs against some of our traditions. And I say our because it rubs against mine. But in verse 8, Jesus says, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Again, I'm not speaking from tradition. This is what Jesus said. That the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Paracleton, the Helper, Advocate, Comforter, Strengthener, He moves alongside. That's the word parakletos. He, he moves alongside us. He dwells within us and He comes upon those who believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord. I can't say it any plainer than that. He doesn't only fill us. He soaks us. He saturates us. He abides if you'll have him. If you'll have him. I want to talk about that, the ministry of the Spirit a little bit here this morning as we continue. And this will maybe the last one. I don't know. Maybe next Sunday we have one more. We'll see what the Lord says. Galatians 5.25, we've been quoting almost every time Paul writing, if we live by the Spirit... If that's what I say my life is about, if this is supposed to be me, if I live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us walk by the Spirit. Which I've been saying implies a daily walk. How many of you did not open your Bible this week? Don't raise your hand. How many of you didn't pray since last Sunday? Or haven't prayed in the last four or five days? How many of us go periods of time and realize, oh, ah, Father, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I've been, I've been really busy down here. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. I could be doing my work. How many of us don't walk by the Spirit? We live by the Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Spirit. And we read about the Spirit. And, when, and we hear teaching on the Spirit. We go, yes, that's great stuff. I love to hear about the Holy Spirit of the living God. And then we go back to life. 
And Paul says if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit every day of our lives. Are you checking in? I mean, even to start the day, checking in with Jesus. To begin the day walking in the Spirit, Lord, lead my steps today. That is available to you immediately every day, followers of Jesus Christ. We do not have to do this alone. And I spend not more, yeah, more time counseling and talking with people who have struggles in, the, in their lives. And that's the answer. You don't need me as a guidance counselor. You need the guidance counselor, the Holy Spirit. But we've gotten so confused about who the Holy Spirit is, what his ministry is among us. There's so many different ideas out there. I'm encouraging you all not to listen just to the words I'm saying this morning, but to go back to Scripture. Because the Bible is replete with all the information we need about the Holy Spirit, his ministry, his function, his power, what he does in us, who he is, how he relates, what this is all about. It's all here. Yet we get nervous. Oh, we're talking about the Spirit. We either get nervous or a little excited. (laughs) David Hawking was once asked, do you believe in speaking with tongues? And he replied, well, of course. Have you ever thought about the alternative? Speaking without tongues. <laughs> so why is the Holy Spirit so controversial in the church when Jesus is so clear about the promises and about what he does? To be spirit-filled, to be baptized by the Spirit, soaked in his presence. I'm just going to leave this the whole teaching. I love that picture because, like I said, I love that I can hardly even see the glass. To, to be saturated by his holiness does not mean spaced out, ginned up, or out of control. The Bible never describes someone walking in the Spirit in, in that kind of ecstatic situation. What being baptized in the Holy Spirit means is peace for an untroubled heart. It's clarity and discernment to know the will of God in your life and in this world. It is covering and it's relationship. It's power to witness. Because I I tell you what, I told you this last week. I am not naturally a witness. I am not naturally a teller of the gospel. I can stand up here and do it with my brothers and sisters. But I'm talking about in the marketplace. That is not natural for me. It is either unnatural or supernatural. Which do you prefer? So the fact that we even can witness we have power that is given to us by the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power to be my witnesses, he says. It's also gifts to serve. Gifts to serve, to minister to one another as fellow Christians, the spiritual gifts that we haven't even touched in this study The spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, talked about in various other places, are given to us by the Holy Spirit that we might serve one another in the church, in this world. What gifts the Holy Spirit has given for conviction. And yes, he he convicts the world, but we're still in this world And we still need some conviction in our lives concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is given that we might bear fruit. 
And you know what the fruit of the Spirit is. How many times do we need to go over this? But we're going to do it again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What's the last one? Self-control. Which is why earlier I, I, I made an allusion to the fact that though the Spirit comes on you and though you're being conformed into the image of Christ, though there's even that idea that I disappear into him, I am not out of control. I'm not out of control. The Bible is absolutely clear. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit will enhance your self-control. Will enhance your self-discipline. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14.32, Paul says, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know what that means? That means the prophet's not doing anything that he's not okay with doing. The Lord tells the prophet to do something. The prophet has a choice. Do I do it or not? So let's put this whole idea out of our minds of being out of control. Spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then Paul adds, as in all the churches of the saints. This is the standard. God is a God of peace and order. On the other hand... There is nothing in the New Testament that declares the ministry, gifts, anointing, and power of the Holy Spirit available in the first century are no longer functioning. Show me. Show me chapter and verse that says with the last of the apostles, God ceased to bestow his Holy Spirit, to baptize in his Holy Spirit. Well, it was just the apostles who were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. Well, then you stopped after the second chapter. I recall Cornelius and his family and friends baptized in the Holy Spirit before they were even baptized in water. And by the way, they did then get baptized in water. I recall those Ephesians in the book of Acts who they had been baptized into Jesus, but they didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And Paul laid his hands on them. They all received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. This promise is functioning now as much as it was then. Well, I just don't see enough. Don't go looking for signs. An evil generation searches for a sign. You look to Jesus. You believe in Jesus and you ask for the Spirit. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but again, he said, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's better for you, Jesus says. If I'm not here, I can send my Spirit on all y'all. And he wasn't even Texan. I can give my spirit to everybody simultaneously. And after immediately expressing the conviction that the Holy Spirit would bring in us and in our lives. And by the way, I welcome that conviction because it keeps me straight. After expressing that, Jesus immediately says again in verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Why not? Why not? Why not just go ahead and tell us now, Jesus? One of the apostles might have asked, now listen, this may be controversial. I hope you're okay with this. This could offend somebody. The apostles were not Christians until after the resurrection. Why would that be offensive? I'm just kidding you. I'm just trying to keep you, you know, engaged here. The apostles were not Christians 
until after the resurrection, not by definition of those who believe and receive Jesus Christ and Lord and are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Not until after the resurrection. Now, it was immediately after. It was resurrection Eve that at least 10 of the apostles received the Spirit, John chapter 20, verse 19. When Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. But prior to the crucifixion, prior to the resurrection of Jesus, they did not have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they did not have the ability to bear what Jesus needed them to hear. They couldn't carry it. It, it, it would have been too much. Even what Jesus gives them is so much. Even what he gives them, he says, back in verse 6, I see that sorrow has filled your heart. He's laying out all these beautiful, encouraging, wonderful things. Hey, we love John 14, 15, and 16, don't we? But the apostles didn't. As they sat there on Passover Eve listening to Jesus, or at Passover listening to Jesus explain, express these things, it was heavy. It was sorrowful. They were struggling to understand. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, you can't bear these things now. I'm giving you everything I can. Now, he knew they would remember all of this upon being filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew that they would remember it as they went on down the line. But they could not bear it that evening. They could not bear it immediately. Verse 13 so Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. So earlier in our ever-growing list of promises, you may recall it was the third promise that the spirit of truth is genuine truth. So again, Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. Let's expand that. Number 10 in our ever-growing list, the Holy Spirit guides us, this is really important, guides us in all the truth. Mark how you write that. Not because it's one of Rick's points, but, but because it's Bible. The Holy Spirit guides us in all the truth. Much of what the disciples couldn't bear on that Thursday night is now in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit guided them in all the truth. Sadly, some still can't bear these things. Some Christians. And I'm not just talking about minds trailing off or the distractions of sitting in a room with some fidgety person on your row. It's more serious then going around the same paragraph again and again, you know, you might be reading the Bible and saying, well, I, I guess I'm just one who can't bear these things right now because I've been over these three verses over and over and I keep getting fuzzy-brained. It's not what I'm talking about. Some struggle to bear the truth that is in the Scriptures, seriously doubting, questioning, challenging, rejecting the veracity of the word of God. You know how it comes out like this. I know what the Bible says about such and such. But, but if so, then why am I, and you go down the litany of my issues. Have you ever done that? Because I have. I have. If the Bible says that I'll have peace, why am I so stressed out? Explain that to me. You know what you're doing? You're questioning the word of God against your experience. Maybe you ought to be questioning yourself and why you're experiencing that when the promise is so clear. 
We want to put it off on God. Maybe we need to stop for a second and have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and put it on ourselves. Why don't I have peace? Jesus said I would. What's the problem here? Maybe we need to be more about repentance. Turning back around and saying, Lord, I repent of my anxiety. I repent of my sorrow. I I repent that I am not receiving your promises. And when I say repent, I'm not talking about groveling. I don't know where in the history of Christianity repent got equated with groveling. Repentance is turning to God. But some, because of their life experiences and their pain or hardship or difficulty, actually turn away from God and ask why he's not fulfilling his promises. Well, you can't receive what you're not willing to take. They couldn't bear it. But the Holy Spirit guides us in all the truth. The power to bear in this world these things. To believe these things. That power comes from and by the Holy Spirit. Years ago, a Christian brother came up to me. It was after we had started the bridge, but it was early on in the barn days. And and he said, Rick, can you help me? And he was very, very sincere. Can you help me? To love the word of God? And I said, oh, bro, I sure can't. (laughs) I can teach. I can preach. I can explain. I can exposit. But only the spirit of God can guide you in all the truth. I can't do that. I'll put it out here. But it's the Holy Spirit who attaches it to your heart. It's the Holy Spirit who guides you into it, who gives you understanding of it, and who actually makes it a part of you such that you begin to disappear into him. That's the Spirit's work. He guides us in all the truth. Now, note this, guide us in all the truth. If your Bible says into all the truth, I want you to just X out the two. Now, some of you are like, oh, I can't take something out of the Bible. Okay, don't don't take anything out of the Bible. Just X out the two because it's not there in the Greek. It's not he guides you into all the truth. It's he guides you in all the truth. And that's a huge difference that we might not even catch if we're just flying by it. Into. Into implies the exploration of truth not yet revealed. He's going to guide you into all the truth. So you're going to find out more truths and have more understanding and and, and learn new things. You're going to be guided into all the truth, whatever it may be. Potential new ideas and, and notions and mores. He's going to guide you into all the truth. That's not the word. The word is in. And in all the truth means that he guides us in the truth which has already been fully disclosed. The truth's there. He's going to guide you in that truth. What is the truth? Jesus Christ. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus fully disclosed is the truth. And he will guide us in that truth. In the truth. Fully disclosed, though maybe not yet fully understood. I mean, can all of you say, I fully understand Jesus to the nth degree for all eternity. I know him inside and out. I can't, I can't even say that about my wife. We're 36 years this month. I can't say that about Cheryl. I'm still finding out stuff. You really think that? (laughs) He will guide you in, not into, as if there are various truths out there. He will guide you in all the truth. By the way, the Bible itself is not an open canon. The canon of Scripture. 
I, I picked up just this last week the DDK. I mentioned it on Wednesday night, so I thought, you know, I mentioned it, I really ought to look into this thing. The DDK is a manual for Christian living that dates back to the first or second century. Based on the oral teaching in the churches of the apostles, it's not written doctrine. But what's interesting is the DDK, DDK in Greek means teachings. The DDK was actually used in many of these first century churches uh, and shared, but it was oral. It was oral tradition. So the apostles, when they went out, would go to a church and they share several things, and the, and the church would repeat those things orally. So how a lot more teaching went on at that time even than today and so the DDK came to be compiled. It was so seriously viewed by the church, it was actually considered for the canon of Scripture. Except for the fact that it was oral tradition, that it was not written down by one who had had a personal experience with Jesus. That is, absolutely, actually walking with Jesus. And there are other standards of the canon of Scripture. If you ever wonder, why do we have these books? Why not all those other ones out there? Well, I'll tell you what. Number one, because there were very exacting standards as to what was considered from God and what was not. The other thing is, I've read through the DDK all the way through it now. And it's really interesting. And it does. It's just it's kind of like a manual for Christian living. It doesn't contradict Scripture. But there are a couple places I read it and I go, wow, that just does not sound like Jesus. I could hear Peter saying that, or someone hearing Peter say something like that, and maybe as oral tradition goes, it changed a little bit. But that doesn't sound like Jesus. So the scriptures are not an open canon. What does that mean? That means we don't continue to get revelations and new books. You know, written by Pastor Les and Pastor Rick and Pastor Jake. Hey, here's a brand new one. I just received revelation from the Lord. And by the way, yeah, it's a little contradictory to Galatians, but that's okay. Follow me, because this is the newest thing. The Bible is not an open canon, nor is the Holy Spirit a loose canon. He guides you in all the truth. He will not guide you off on some fool's errant journey. God's Word. God's Word is living and active. We know that, but you know what? It's also constant and absolute, unchanging. So Jesus says, John 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. He will guide you in all the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ, who is the word, and the truth of his word, which expresses Jesus Christ, who is the word. So God's word is constant. Same with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not offer you opinions, speculations, or theories. He will guide you in all truth. That is so comforting to me. That I can pray in the Spirit and ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit with Scripture and know He's not going to lead me astray. He's going to lead me into sound, true, spiritual doctrine. He guides us in all the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the, help, the truth. So help us God. Jesus said, I am the way, again, and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So in essence, you could say the Holy Spirit guides us in all things Jesus. Already revealed. Already fully disclosed. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in all the truth. Verse 13 continuing. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. I'll read on. I'm going to stop. I'm going to come back to that right there. 
He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose to you all things that the Father has in mind. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. And I have a couple more things to say in this section. But first off, note this. Number 11 in our list, the Holy Spirit gives full disclosure. The Holy Spirit gives full disclosure. The word here for disclose is an interesting word. It's a compound word in the Greek. So compound, two parts to this word. The word is anangali. Anangali. Anangali from the word ana and angelos. Ana, which simply means on, along, or upon. Angelos means angel. But here it's actually the root is not angel, it's angelo. Angelo means messenger or message. So disclose is literally on along a, a message that is on along or upon. A message on or along or, or upon. To disclose means to bring a message on someone, along someone, or upon someone, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Part of his work, full disclosure, to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ alongside you, on you, upon you. This is an expressly unified message of the truth. John 12, 49, I think it's interesting. Jesus said, I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And just as Jesus did not speak on his own initiative, he now says the Holy Spirit won't either. Jesus says, everything I tell you is from the Father. And now he says, everything the Spirit tells you is from me and from the Father. So again, this is not an open canon, loose canon mentality. This is absolute truth that has been already shared through the Father, through Jesus, and now the Spirit's going to bring all that to remembrance and continue to teach us in that truth. That's when we're talking about sound doctrine. That's what we mean, sound doctrine, the doctrine of Scripture. The Bible itself is the expression of that truth already given to us. Listen, I, I, I've worked on... I've worked on a church staff, and I'm thinking of one in particular, where emails were sent out that were supposed to reflect the whole staff and did not. And it ticked me off. Emails that were sent out, not here, it's not this church, we're okay. But emails that were sent out that said, we, the pastors, feel that, da 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 da, da. And, and I received the email, no one asked me about it. It's kind of like, you know what, honestly, let me just make this really clear to you all. In the Israel brochure, it says right here in the opening page, a message from your pastor. Let me read this to you. Come join us for a life-changing trip to Israel. Visit biblical lands. Uh, visiting biblical lands is far more significant than any vacation. It's an opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of God's word. Oh, that's really good. Experience the historical roots of our faith as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Visit the places from the gospel. See the sights of the prophets. Stand on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and walk the streets of Jerusalem. We will enjoy some amazing times of worship and prayer together throughout our time together. To see the Bible come alive is more powerful than words can describe. Don't miss this opportunity for a spiritual journey of a lifetime. Shalom, Rick and Cheryl Crawford. The only problem is I didn't write that. I read it to you this morning, so now I can say, yes, I said it. But I said it after it was written. I fully agree with that. And actually, I think that was something that, that Sandy at Madison Travel picked, pulled out of a, of a previous brochure. So perhaps I wrote it like 10 years ago. But I look at that, I'm like, did I write a message from the past? Did I write that? I don't know. 
the email situation, emails going out, did not reflect what I thought or what I believed. Listen, it can be difficult to send out unified, coherent messages when you have multiple people, ideas, personalities, and agendas. All you need is one nutcase. All you need is one person who is driving their agenda regardless of what the people on my team think and you have a problem. Jesus says it's not that way with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely unified. The message of Jesus is absolutely unified from Father to Son to Spirit with no change given to you, given to me. He guides us in all the truth. Perfect harmony between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect intimacy and agreement between them. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments, Jesus says, and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Again, the truth. I'll disclose myself. What do you want to know of God? What do you want to know about Jesus? What of your creator do you desire to understand? Listen to me. The veil is torn. The mystery is revealed. The shrouded darkness has been blasted with the light. He wants us to know him. He's not playing mystery games. He wants us to be in fellowship with him, in relationship with him. He wants us so close that we look something like this. Filled with and submerged by in his presence. That's his desire for us. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20 says you have an anointing from the Holy One. And that anointing is, is like smearing. <laughs> the word anointing is where we get Christos. It's where we get Mashiach. Mashiach in the, in the Hebrew is to anoint or to smear it with oil. You have that anointing. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. An anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Do you know you have the anointing from the Holy One? John writes to Christians says, you know, you know you do. If you don't know you do, maybe you need to talk to Jesus about that one. Maybe you just need to ask. He says in 1 John 2, 27, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides not on you, in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you, listen, you, don't miss this, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Two weeks ago we talked about abiding. And some went away from that and went, I want that, I don't know how to get that. The Holy Spirit does that. You don't abide in him by sheer force of your own will. You abide in him by the spirit of the living God. And if you're struggling with abiding, don't start, you know, upping your, your church. Don't start coming to first and second service. Just in case I can abide a little more. That's not abiding. It's fellowship. And yes, abiding is taking place, but abiding is a work of the Holy Spirit, not a work of the flesh. We have to grapple with this. I alluded to this earlier. The issue or problem is never with the promises of the Word of God. If it hasn't been your experience, but it says so in the Word of God, I suggest you press into Jesus all the more. Because this is not wrong. This is not untrue. 
If you read it here and say, I don't know what that, that's not my life. You need to be talking to Jesus. I can't do that for you. You need to abide. This verse in 1 John where he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know, that was, a, that was tough for me for years. For years. I remember reading that. And I, when I was in ministry, I was a youth pastor. And I remember coming across that verse, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know the anointing which you, receives from, which you receive from him abides in you. I didn't feel taught much, much less anointed by the Holy One. I was doing ministry, and I was like, I don't know if I have that. I was the kid whose mind did go blank. I was the young adult whose attention span waned within three or four minutes. And I was the 30-something pastor who desperately wanted to really know Jesus and understand the very word I was supposed to be teaching. And there's only one reason that I can teach the word of God today, and that is the Holy Spirit gives full disclosure. And he continues to guide me in all the truth. I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, press in. Don't come asking me. Go asking him. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Spirit. Every time you pray, every time you open this book, Spirit of the living God, help me understand. You know how often I pray that? I mean, you know every Sunday morning, most services and Wednesday night, I pray that before I preach because I don't want to tell you what I want you to know. And when I study, as I'm studying, while I'm studying, if I come upon a hard passage or a difficult thing to understand or something that does not seem to align with my life experience, I say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me with this one. Because I'm not going to figure it out. He gives full disclosure. He guides into all the truth. This is what he does. By the way, he won't give you more than you can bear. He will never give you more than you can bear. In fact, when Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, part of the problem, the majority of the problem was they didn't have the Holy Spirit, but part of the problem was also a little word we call maturity. God's not going to give you more than you can bear. So there is a growing process for all of us, in all of us, and the older I get, the more immature I realize I really am. Some of you go, Amen. But there's a maturing process that allows us to bear more as we abide. He's not just going to dump. It always takes time. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 13. The Hebrew pastor said, Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. Let me just tell you all here, Bridge Fellowship, do not stay infants. Don't remain babies. Don't be content. How many people gave their life to the Lord in a service, bought their first Bible and said, good, I'm good to go. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're a baby. You've just started. You're still on milk. That's the person sitting in the church who has no concept of what's going on, but hey, I like these people, so it's cool. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're missing something here. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he's an infant, solid food is for the mature. How do we get there? Who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. But if you're practicing in the flesh, you're not going to get there. The practice must be in the spirit. So, so what does the spirit disclose? 
If he gives full disclosure, he guides us into all or in all the truth, and he gives full disclosure. What is it exactly that the Spirit discloses? Uh, first of all, note this in verse 13. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Man, that's great. How many times have you thought, well, if I just knew what was going to happen, I could make this decision. We were playing a board game with Corey. Last, last night, yesterday, and, and, and the night before, because it was a long board game. And it was one of those board games, modern board games, I've told you before, make my mind pop. I don't get them. I don't understand them. You want to play a board game? Let's play, play Mexican Train. I can do that. I can play, you know, basic, simple card games. I like the old games where, where it's about socializing. It's not about, you know, concentration. Okay, I've got to get this much wheat, and if I have this much wheat, then I can start to build this, and then I've got a wall, but I've got to build something else beyond the wall because I've got my, my villagers over here, but now the enemy's coming, and I'm going, <laughs> it doesn't work with me. I don't even know why I'm telling you about this. I think I'm just venting. Corey said, Dad, you got to play your turn. And I'm sitting there with my cards, and I'm like, I don't know what to play because I don't know what you're about to do. And I don't understand this game anyway. If I understood, then I know what to play, and I could be part of the game. The Holy Spirit discloses what is to come. How often in our lives do we not know what to do because we don't know what's to come? Let me just tell you what the Holy Spirit has disclosed about what is to come. We're going to be caught up. That's imminent. That's any time. whenever God decides that it's time, we're going. Nothing on God's prophetic calendar as outlined in Scripture needs to happen. Everything's been fulfilled. That needs to happen before the church is caught up. We're going to spend seven years with Jesus. Seven years earth time. It's going to be like a, a blink up there, I'm sure. We're outside of time, right? Spend that time with Jesus in a heavenly honeymoon. Then we're going to come back with him. And God, through Jesus, he's going to establish the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus in our glorified heavenly bodies. We will be what we are for eternity with Jesus on earth for a thousand years, ruling and reigning, administrating in his kingdom of righteousness. After that, he has promised a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, right on into eternity. It is breathtaking. In Revelation 21 and 22, you can read about that. You know what? I don't know what's going to happen next week. But I know what's going to happen when the millennial kingdom arrives. And I know what's going to happen after that. And just knowing that, I've got peace. The world can go to hell in a handbasket. I'm going to be with Jesus. And by the way, when I say the world can, I'm talking about the physical world. I don't want any of my non-believing friends, my unbelieving family, to be left behind. I know what's to come. Thanks to the Holy Spirit. He will disclose to you what is to come. That is prophetic insight, discernment, revelation of what is next on God's agenda. This is not the church answer to palm reading. And the church has sometimes, some churches, some groups have made it that way. Well, it disclosed to you what is to come. And so we become Christian palm readers, psychics. We, we offer Christian horoscopes, as it were. Fortune cookies. That's not what this is. It's none of that. That is the world's answer. What is to come is revelation by the spirit of truth. That is what is to come. 
That's what he promises to bring. And we have, by the way, a profound example of that right here in our Bibles, of exactly how this works. The Holy Spirit will teach you, will disclose what is to come. Watch this. Revelation chapter 1. If you want to turn over there, you could probably do it quickly. I think most of you know where the book of Revelation is. If you don't, it's at the end. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. Turn there real quick. You've got to see this. The Apostle John writing. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Or we could say the things to come. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, because the two are in concert, to, his, uh, all, that he, to all that he saw. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's the only book in the entire Bible with a blessing attached to it. Blessed are those who read this book. And yet, how many churches don't even go here? Oh, don't get me started on preaching Revelation. We'll be here several weeks. If you skip down to verse 9, though, watch what happened. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And he goes on to give this remarkable revelation of Jesus Christ, glorified, powerful, remarkable. Now listen, the island of Patmos was known as the island where the end of the world began. That's what they called it, the island where the end of the world began. It was desolate. It, John was exiled. He was isolated. He was alone on a rock in the Aegean Sea. And you know what was going on here in Revelation chapter 1? John was having church. John was having church. Regardless of what any of us have gone through in our lives, none of us know the suffering or isolation that John knew. John the Apostle. John the writer of the Gospel that is expressing the things that Jesus told him on that Thursday night. John wasn't in a church building. He, he wasn't in a sanctuary, a temple, a cathedral. He didn't have any music. How can you worship without music? He didn't have a worship band. He didn't have microphones and comfy padded chairs. And he didn't have a verse list. What did John have? Where was John? That's the better question. Where was John? And if you say on Patmos, you'll miss what happened. John was in the Spirit. On the Lord's Day, having church. In the Spirit. And that is exactly what Jesus said would happen. When did Jesus say that? John chapter 4, verse 23, an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. In spirit and in truth. John did. Jude 20 says, pray in the spirit. John was and because he did, the Spirit of the Lord, listen, because John was in the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord has disclosed to us all 
the things which are to come. Because one man was in the Spirit. Jesus brought disclosure. The Spirit brought disclosure to John and through John of what is to come. By the way, there are 66 books in the Bible. One revelation. Thank you. And if you haven't heard that before, there are 66 books in the Bible. One revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is what the Spirit brings. Revelation 19, verse 10, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Which brings me to the second point of his disclosure. He fully discloses not only what is to come, but he discloses to you and to me who came and who's coming. He discloses Jesus. Jesus Christ is the very heart of the Holy Spirit's disclosure to us. Look at verse 14 back in John 16. Flip back there quickly. John chapter 16, verse 14. He, Jesus says, will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose to you. He will glorify me. This is number 12 on our list. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. I say this every time, just about every time I talk about the Holy Spirit because it is so important. It is the absolute center of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus Christ. This is what he does. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Your very confession of faith is Holy Spirit guided, Holy Spirit led. And every time you say Jesus is Lord, every time you acknowledge his authority over your life, you are allowing the Spirit to speak clearly and to disclose the glory of Jesus to you. I've said before, you can always tell, and I'm sorry if I'm a little excited, but this just pumps me up. You can always tell the spirit-filled church or the spirit-filled man or the spirit-filled woman because they talk a lot about Jesus. He will glorify me, Jesus says. People come to me sometimes and say, I was just wondering, I mean, this is my first Sunday here, and I'm just wondering, is this a spirit-filled church? And they'll ask from one of two positions, you know. On the one hand, they'll be asking because they want Pentecost here now. And on the other side, they're like, I don't want that if you're one of those weird churches. Is this a spirit-filled church? I hope so. How How do I know? Do we preach Jesus? Is Jesus on our lips, in our conversations? And by the way, to live in the Spirit and walk by the Spirit means that Jesus probably should be in our conversations. How often do you go out to dinner with another couple, and before the end of the meal, you've talked about Jesus at some point? what Jesus is doing in your life, what he has shown you, what you've learned about him. And I'm not saying that every waking moment you've got to be talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But if you're walking in the Spirit, he's going to come up. Shouldn't he? Because he will glorify me. The glorification of Jesus is the single greatest focus of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is his chiefest goal. Above and beyond all other things. And we can take the Spirit and we can rest Him into our desires and what we want to do and what we want to see happen and completely forget Jesus is the point that the Holy Spirit was given for. He is the point the Holy Spirit was given to make. For us to know Him and glorify Him and worship Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 
says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, transformed into the same image, looking like him, from glory to glory. And then Paul says this, Just as from the Lord, the Spirit, he's transforming you. He is doing this in you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandment, the commandments abides in him, and he in him. Abides in him, and he in you. Don't let me forget, by the way, to take that out and pour it out for second service, because it will blow the whole thing. We know this. We know that he abides in us. How? By the spirit he has given us. I don't know, Rick. I just, I just don't know. You know, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. So, two final questions here. How do I receive the Holy Spirit? How do I receive? I mean, just give me basics. We've been talking about this for a week. Give me basics. How do I receive the Holy Spirit? And actually, if you want to do a little search, the Bible tells a number of ways. I heard a great teaching on this just last week. Thank you, Paul. By David Hawking from back in the 80s. Talking about how to receive the Holy Spirit. And he went about coming up with a list of all the ways the Bible talks about how you can receive the Holy Spirit. I listened to that this week. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And there are a number of different ways that the Bible says you can receive the Holy Spirit. Some of those ways don't apply now. Because one of the ways you can receive the Holy Spirit is Jesus can breathe on you. John 20, verse 19. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, all I need is for Jesus to come breathe on me. Oh, that's right, he left. So you can't have Jesus breathe on you. Now, some have metaphorized that and spiritualized it, but, but in reality, you can't have Jesus breathe on you like he did on the apostles in their faces on that resurrection night. You can't have that. You're not going to receive the Holy Spirit that way. Okay. So how do I receive the Holy Spirit? John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus, again, well, I'm not going to read over that again. That, but that's, he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. Obviously, it's his desire. But Luke 11, verse 13. I love this verse. If you then, being evil, oh, called me out, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How do I receive the Holy Spirit? Ask him. Ask him. My daughter Naomi asked me for a glass of orange juice. I don't deny her. I don't give her a cup of poison. Ask him. Ask the Father. Peter said, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is a great way if you want to know that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift. Note that the gift is singular. The gift of the Holy Spirit. He's the gift. And then he gives spiritual gifts. But he's the gift. There's no way around this. There's no way around this. Please don't miss this. Baptism. There is no way around water baptism. I know some would say there is. Some would say it's unnecessary. The moment you say that, you are in contradiction to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way around baptism. Just as the glass in the pitcher 
is a picture here for us this morning of what he offers. So water baptism outwardly expresses this inward miracle that he accomplishes. The water doesn't save you. We've been over this. We talk about that all the time. In fact, I think too much sometimes. If someone wants to think that they get saved when they get baptized, great. I don't care. You're saved. Here's the point. We go into the water, buried like Jesus. We'll come out of the water, dripping and wet and soaked through to the skin. And that is a picture of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is a picture of having been raised with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, whatever you think about baptism, remember that Jesus commanded that we do it as a first event in the making of disciples. Matthew 28, verse 18, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's first on the list. And then he continues teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Which, by the way, doesn't mean that he's not with you when you're flying in an airplane. You know, lo, I'm with you always. No, it just means I'm always with you. John 14, 15, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So he commands us to make disciples baptizing them. How is it that there are people in the church who say, I don't need to be baptized? I don't understand. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Here's another way of receiving the Holy Spirit or understanding that you have the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses of these things, Peter says, and the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You will not receive the Holy Spirit outside of obedience. Just be obedient to Jesus. Well, what if I get it wrong? I, that's not what I'm saying. What if I miss something? What if on the whole list of, of obediences to God, I happen to fall short somewhere? Look, the, the, the issue is the attitude of the heart. Are you seeking to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ? Because guess what? If you are, the moment you recognize something is lacking in your life, you're going to obey. Obey him. Peter says the Spirit was given to those of us or to those who obey. Ultimately, here's the best way to receive the Holy Spirit. Best way to receive him. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Because Jesus himself said in John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John goes on to write, but this he spoke of the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm almost done. I know I'm running a little over. I know that's a shocker too. But what about, what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay, I understand how to receive the Holy Spirit. What about all this whole issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Forget what the church has taught you. Listen to what Jesus has said. Go to the Word. Do not let tradition define you, or you will be running on fumes. Or you'll be running off the side of the road. What does Jesus teach? Let that be the standard for us. What about the baptism of the Spirit? You believe in Jesus. You repent. Get baptized into Jesus. And Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced of this. And it may not be when you think or when you expect. You know, one of the things that we, that we talk about 
and, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit is waiting, waiting on the Lord. And there are churches who have a whole doctrine about waiting, waiting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I, I think I've told the story before, and I'm over, over time already, so I might as well tell it now. I remember wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus style. I, I didn't want to go to a Pentecostal church and be baptized in the Holy Spirit their style. I, wanted to, I just wanted Jesus to do it. This was after we had moved up here, so it was after 1999, and I started seeking out counsel from friends of mine, believers, believers who I saw the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, who I knew were people under self-control, people who believed and loved Jesus, and I started talking to two or three different people. Some of them are here right now, and seeking to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? And having prayer and conversation about it, and I waited and I have one night, I've told some of you before, I have one night where I was speaking at a retreat in Chicago, and I flew into Chicago, and I went to a hotel because I was going to be picked up the next morning. I flew in kind of late, and I thought, this is it. This is the night Rick gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited. I have my spaghetti dinner down in the restaurant, and I went up to my room, and I, I put my Bible on the bed, and I got down on my knees, and I went, yes! And nothing happened. So I thought, well, okay, I need to wait a little longer. And I prayed, and I waited, and I read some scriptures, and I sat there in the hotel, and, and every now and then the thought came in, you're missing a great movie on HBO right now, but that's okay, that's okay, this is more important. And I, I just labored over this for three hours, and I finally went to bed. Nothing happened. Nothing. But I was waiting, Lord! And God was not playing games with me. It just wasn't necessary. What I was looking for was not necessary at that point. I'll tell you what I've realized, because I had, uh, I had a very life-defining moment a few years later, not much later, but soon after that, that I would term as a, a moment where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a way that I never had before, because it, it changed things for me. And, and again, because of the time, I won't go all into that. I had that, but I'll tell you what, here's the thing. After that, I began to realize First of all, the Holy Spirit had been with me since I was 10 years old and received Jesus as my Lord. That was huge to me. Looking back, I was like, I was looking for someone who was right in front of me. I was looking, you know, it's kind of like a marriage where a husband is trailing off and he's being attracted to other woman, women and what he needs, what he desires, what's best for him is right in front of him the whole time. He's already in the marriage that he needs. And that was me. And I realized I had already been walking in the Spirit for years. And that there are select times that I can now pinpoint where I'm like, I know the Holy Spirit came upon me at that moment, at that time. I know that this happened. I, baptism of the Holy Spirit, I don't think it's a one-time event. This is my personal belief. This is not, okay, now we've just stepped out of John and the Gospels and the Bible. And Rick is just telling you a personal belief. I think the baptism of the Spirit happens often. More than once. Happens when God desires to come upon you and to empower you for ministry or for witnessing. And so that's been my experience. But I, I'm telling you plain and simple. The most vital, critical thing in your Christian life is to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? You believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And he will give you his spirit and he will fill you and he will submerge you and he will begin to conform you into the image of Jesus. You obey Jesus. You follow Jesus. And don't worry about when the Holy Spirit is going to baptize you or come upon you or empower you. He knows when you need that. He knows when that's going to happen. You follow Jesus. You trust in Jesus. And if you're feeling like you're lacking, like you're running on fumes, or you're running half empty, then you say, Lord Jesus, I just don't feel like I have the ability to bear what you're asking me to bear. I, I, I need you to do this. I mean, let's just simplify it. These are all, by the way, uh, believing in Jesus, being baptized, obeying Jesus, all of these things. These are all attitudes and actions of reception. That you receive Jesus. You come to Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, you tell him you want to be submerged into all he is and all he desires to the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He'll take care of you. He will cover you. He will wash you. He will fill you. He will submerge you. He'll soak you. And out of your inner being, living waters will flow. Last question and we're done. Is there ever a time when the Holy Spirit is absent? Every time the Holy Spirit is absent, listen to this in the description of New Jerusalem. Verse 22, it says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Where's the Spirit? See, Father and Son, the Lord God, see the Lamb. They are the temple of New Jerusalem. They're there. Well, Read further, chapter 22, verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And someone might say, oh, it's the water of life. There's the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. It's just the water of life. In the middle of his street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And he says, therefore, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him and they will see his face and, on it, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night and they will not need have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because, here it is, because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. And back in verse 3 it says, the throne of God and of the Lamb. It says, the Lord God and the Lamb. They're mentioned a number of times, but in New Jerusalem there's not a single mention of the Holy Spirit, not one. Is there ever a time when the Holy Spirit is absent? Well, let me just answer that with one last verse. The last time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible. A few weeks ago we started with the first time when he was brooding over the dark waters. Right? The last time he's mentioned in the Bible, we hear him speaking in concert with the bride. Verse 17 of chapter 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. You know why the Spirit is never absent? He is given forever. And he is never absent because the bride is in New Jerusalem. And where the bride is, the Spirit is also. And once he's given to you, here's the promise of Jesus. He will never leave you again. Amen? 
Father, this is a lot for us to take in. I pray that we would have your spirit help us bear these things and believe these things and hope in these things and endure these things. I know, Lord, that's your description of love. And so we recognize you have given your spirit to us out of love. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I I pray anything I've said this morning that would get in the way would be forgotten. I pray everything that you want us to know and take home of your spirit will be remembered and become clarified to us. And I pray, Lord, that if anyone here has not received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, that a very simple prayer would be prayed this morning. And by the way, if that's you, would you just pray with me right now? Right now, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, this is how we start. Pray with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I repent. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead to save me. And I want all that you have for me. So I bow to you and accept your lordship and your authority over my life. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.